Gospels, you can see that this is a, a very special day in the life of our congregation of Sovereign Grace Church. So therefore, this morning, we are not going to be in Exodus today, but I have the great privilege of preaching to you all and to our brother uh, in light of the deacon ordination, uh, uh, a sermon that will be directed toward the ordination of our brother, but also to, to his encouragement and to the encouragement of us all. A sermon that is a, to serve as a charge to him in the work as a deacon, but a charge as well as to the church in your responsibility to him. The scriptural evidence for deacons, there is no better place to turn than to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Where in the opening of Philippians chapter 1 in this letter that Paul writes to the church in, in Philippi, he addresses the church. He calls the church slaves of Christ. Slaves of Christ. And then he calls them saints. In Christ. I find those very peculiar words, but addressing the church meant many, many theological things within that statement. He also addresses the overseers of the church in Philippi, addressing the, the elders of the church, those whom God has called out to, to, to guide and to lead and to oversee and shepherd the church, but also to another office, another group of individuals within the church in Philippi called deacons. That's our, one of our greatest scriptural evidences of the office of deacon. The theological evidences, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul lay, lists out the different offices and ministries that are within the body of Christ, within the church of the ministry of the word of God, the shepherds and teachers and so forth. They are given to the church by God to equip the church, to equip them for the work of the ministry. Deacons are not listed out in this particular list, but we see here by extension, theologically speaking, God has given elders and deacons for the good of the church, and in particular, both offices to serve the church in various ways. Just as in Ephesians 5, where the, the gospel is illustrated through the covenant of marriage, that Jesus Christ loves his church. He gave himself up for her. He sanctifies her and cleanses her with the washing of the word of, of God. He prepares her to be presented in splendor and in glory, without spot or without wrinkle, to be holy and be without blemish. Jesus nourishes and cherishes his bride, the church, all of which things Paul takes and says that is equivalent, in a sense, to within the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. Jesus nourishes and cares for his bride, his church, thus proving to us his love for his bride. For the church. The theological pattern then continues in what Christ has done. He has come. He has given. He has done all of these things. He's given himself. He's, 
given his whole life and sacrificed himself for the church, as we see that in the Gospels. But we also see that within the life of the, the church through the ministry of the overseers and the ministry of deacons that he has given to do the same such things within the body of Christ, to love and to nurture his church. There's historical evidences within, within Scripture, and that is within Acts chapter 6, where we see the wisdom of God given, of giving the deacons to the church. And if you would, turn to Acts chapter 6, I think a passage that we're already quite familiar with, and preaching it earlier in the year as we began our journey in deacons and looking for deacons and understanding what the diaconal role would be. So turn to Acts chapter 6, and let's be refreshed and reminded once again of the historical significance and evidence of the office of deacon. And now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because of their widows being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And this is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. So in this particularly, potentially terrible situation here in Acts chapter 6 that is about to happen, a fuse has been set to bring about great disunity and disharmony within the body of Christ. We see the Lord God give the church, give wisdom to the apostles, to give to the church deacons to serve the church. We call this a proto-event in a sense. It's a proto-event of the giving of the office of deacons. It becomes the pattern in which before uh, or after the church sets forth deacons to serve and the office of the church, as we see within Philippians 1.1, that Paul addresses the, those who are serving within the diaconal office. But here in the book of Acts, we see this historical accounting of the work of God through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel by the apostles and by the work of the Holy Spirit, we see the work of God's sovereign grace in planting and establishing his church here now in Jerusalem, and then eventually, as we will see in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 7 and beyond, the planting of his church throughout the world. 
up to chapter 6, the church has been doing pretty good. They face certain persecutions. The apostles have been arrested. They've been beaten. They've been, they've been jailed. They dealt with a, a, another situation between um, Ananias and, and Sapphira. But overall, within the church has been God's blessing. And that blessing has come through the preaching and teaching of the word of God by the apostles and through prayer. Things were thriving within this church. But as we get to chapter 6, there's this nasty situation that, that is brewing within the church, a situation that the apostles had not dealt with yet. And as we talked about months before, months ago, that underneath this particular situation, through these accusations, which are pretty harsh accusations, was a real issue, and that was the distraction of busyness that was about to come upon the apostles if they did not do something. Sort of like last week, you remember from Exodus chapter 18, right? We see how Moses was becoming overburdened by the busyness of, of judging all the matters of the people of, of Israel. And the same thing here, the apostles were about to become overburdened by the great uh, growing needs of the church. And so, by the Lord's will, they appoint deacons, right? Moses was becoming exhausted with the busy work, and so were the apostles, as this situation exposed such a great need in the church. Deacon work, serving work in the body of Christ, is not an easy task. It's why God has established this office. It's an important task. It's an important work. It's a necessary work. It'll cost time. It'll cost money. It'll cost emotional and mental bandwidth. It will cost love. It's not on stage. It's not work that will necessarily be on stage. It's not work that will always be recognized or seen. It's not work that will always be appreciated with amens and applauses. However, ultimately, as the deacon must know, that the work of a deacon is not for their own glory, but to the glory of Christ, and also for the building up of his church. But yet, we also know, brother, I want you to hear this this morning, that the word of God has given a promise to those who serve well as deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. That in all of those that serve well, that serve well, that deacon well will gain good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith. The good standing that they gain, I believe, is a good standing that comes before the church, meaning the position is, is one of honor. It's a separate office. It's a one of honor before the body of Christ, which is why it is so important in what we are doing today, and it's so important for all of us to be participating and witnessing and seeing and recognizing and amening for our brother. And particularly when we Take the role of the deacon 
and we put it in contrast to our modern culture. Our modern culture today has no clue about the virtue of self-denial, which is the idea of self-sacrifice, denying oneself for the betterment of others. Our culture does not know that virtue. It is not taught. It is not mainstream. Now, I want to make a a, a distinction. We, We recognize it, though, when we see it. We recognize that virtue when we see it. And I believe it's because that's part of the the imago dei. And denying this particular reality within the way it's taught in mainstream is to deny the image of God made within us. Self-denial was once a pivotal virtue in the cornerstone of our culture. And that came out of a distinctly Christian worldview. But now in a post-Christian culture that is secular, this idea of sacrificing or suppressing your own desires for anyone else, and I mean anyone, that is now seen to be what is blasphemous. That is now seen to be unenlightening. You do what you have to do for you is no longer the height of narcissism, but it is the new morality in God and virtue that is called self-care or self-love. But in contrast, in contrast, consider the diaconal work, the work of a deacon is the epitome of counterculture within a countercultural community called the church. So then we as a church must recognize their self-denial, the self-denial and sacrifice of our deacon and their service as a breath of fresh air in a world of narcissists, including the tendency of narcissism in our own hearts. How else do they gain a good standing? Well, I'll put them in the charges for the deacon. Charge one. Brother, you are to deacon for the joy and unity of the church so that nothing will hinder the mission and purpose of this church. You go back to Acts chapter 6 and you will see that there is a great benefit and a great joy that comes within the body of Christ because they appointed deacons to serve. Deacons were, it says, pleasing to the church. They were pleased with this decision. And so deacons act, as we have talked numerous times, that they they act as shock absorbers to the church, something that was to be a nasty a situation that was going to divide and destroy and diminish the work of the gospel within the church and that was hurting the preaching of the gospel within the church. They set forth these brothers and it pleased the church. It solved the problem. It absorbed the shock within the church, which then gave joy to the church, which is to the benefit of the church. Your joy in Christ, your joy in the gospel is for your benefit. It is for 
your own good. Deacons serve and deacon for the joy and the unity of the church so that the mission and purpose of the church is not hindered. They alleviate tension in the church. And through the wise implementation of the church, deacons, it pleased the congregation. So what's obvious then is deacons do not create shock. They're not the ones pushing the back of the car up and down to make it bounce. They are the ones that alleviate tension and shock. They heal division. They don't pour gasoline on flames, the, the flames of division. They bring unity under the word of God and to support the, the leadership of the, of the church. Deacon, brother, for the joy of the church by being a peacemaker in all situations of ten tension and potential disunity. And I have to ask the church in that function, do you not see how deacons then are a joy and for a good for you and a benefit for you? And if that's the case, then how could we, how could we not give them a good standing? How could we withhold a good standing of them? Charge two, deacon to keep the church focused on the main thing. We call it prioritizing the preaching of the word of God. We see here that the role of deacons here in chapter 7 is going to be the very practical need of serving tables and making sure everybody is served equally. And the serving tables is massively important. The service of a deacon, the physical things that they will do, and serving the church, benevolence is quite important. And we know that Jesus ministered to the whole man. He healed the body, he healed the soul, he gave water, he made water into wine, he did all of these things. He ministered to the whole man, and he showed us in how he did this to love, how to love one another, how to care for one another, how to serve one another, how even to love our own enemies and to love the least of these. But those things are only there to keep the main thing the main thing. And that was what Jesus did, and that is preaching the gospel, telling of the good news. The weapons that the Lord has given his church to build the kingdom of God and to subdue the kingdom of darkness is preaching in the prayer, is preaching in prayer. And, and if we diminish those for anything else, no matter how ethical, no matter how compassionate, no matter how virtuous or helpful that they seem to be, then we cease to be being a church and we might as well call ourselves a food pantry or a soup kitchen. In the care for others, in the big situation, in the meeting of needs of people, in the matters of benevolence or meeting the needs of our church member, welcoming guests, being hospitable in the gathering, a deacon serves with gospel clarity intertwined within that service. Brother, your role as a deacon in, the, in, in the, uh, all the things that you are called and set apart to do is to elevate the preaching of God's word. And here is why. Because the preaching of the word of God is what shapes the church. It is what has created the church and it is what shapes the church. And so then your service as a deacon, your care and love for the church is to alleviate, it is to lessen, 
it is to remove anything that could stop or hinder the preaching of God's word in the church as a whole, no matter what those matters may be, as a church, as a whole, there may be something big that's, that's hindering the whole church or parts of the church. As we see in Acts chapter 6, what was hindering a whole group of, of Hellenist uh, Jews that were believing that they were being neglected one way or another, or maybe from a specific member who is having a hard time coming to church because they're having a hard time getting gas in their, their, their t- uh, gas tank or whatever it may be, or they, they, they can't get to church one way or another, they need help. All of that is to do one thing, is not just to get them to church, but to have them be here so that they can hear the preaching of the word of God. The ministry of the deacon is to be about prioritizing the preaching of the word of God by alleviating anything that would stop or hinder people from becoming and being a part of the church. And when the church prioritizes the preaching in prayer like this, we see in Acts chapter 6, this wonderful verse in verse 7 shows us the exponential blessings of God. It says this, it says, and the word of God continued to increase. Oh, don't you want that? And it says that the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Three times, four times, ten times, I don't know. It was greatly. And then it says, and then many of the priests became obedient to faith. The direct result of the church prioritizing the preaching and the prayer within the body of Christ, and to alleviate the stress, the tension, the disunity through the office of the, of the deacon, the Lord God lavishly poured out his blessing on them, even to the point that the priests that were once who accused the Son of God of blasphemy, those who were, those who were set apart, Jesus Christ, for him to be crucified on the cross, enemies of the gospel came to faith. Don't we want that? Don't we want enemies to come to faith? Because such were every one of you. Every one of you, including me. We were enemies of the gospel. We were set against the gospel, against Christ, in our wickedness, in our depravity. And yet by God's grace and through his blessing and through the preaching of God's word, he awakened our hearts and our souls to believe and to have faith. And that came through, as we see in Acts chapter 6, through the faithfulness of the church to believe and to follow God's word as God's word says. Nothing more and nothing less. Deacons then, when the word of God is prioritized, the church will see and recognize you as a gaining a good standing as these blessings come upon us. A deacon serves well and gains a good standing in these matters. And I want to shift for just a moment here. To you, the church, brothers and sisters, I have a charge for you as well. 
We should be the greatest earthly encouragements to our deacon. That though he may labor among us and lead us well in the task of caring for the membership of the church, then from our part, may he never grow weary because of you. Build them up. Encourage them and build him up in kind words. I love Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. There's no flattery here. Honor is not flattery. Flattery is lying. But to withhold honor, to withhold honor is just as wrong. Build our brother up. Tell him how God is using him within the church. Encourage him, build him up, serve him in this way by building him up and showing him and telling him, this is how your ministry has blessed my family, has blessed our church that I've seen in other people, how it has blessed me personally, and how you have, you have cared for me. Build him up. Do not withhold those words of honor. In Hebrews 10, 24, it says, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Your words and your actions will propel his future work in the next member's life. And that next member may be you. Not only give him kind words and honor him with your words, but next, pray for our brother. Pray for his continued, continued spiritual growth. And that he would have his eyes and his heart and his mind constantly centered on the good news of the gospel. Pray for his family, pray for his wife, pray for his children grandchild, that the Lord God would protect them, pray for their good, pray for their joy in serving the church, pray for their protection, pray for his protection from sin and from temptation, and in your prayers, as you mention him by name, remember, as the Apostle Paul tells us, that he always gives thanks in remembering him. Give thanks to the Lord for him. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, it says, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of, every one of you for one another is increasing. A summary, in a sense, of the office of deacon, what it does for the church, increasing our faith and love for one another. Give thanks for him. And lastly, to be an encouragement to our brother, as you are able, join our deacon in deaconing. It is not his responsibility to do everything. That's not what we're doing. We're not ordaining him so that now he does everything and you all now get to take a break from other things. That's not, the, that's not the case at all. 
but it is his role to see that these needs are met and needs that may come may be met. And therefore, as a church, what could be very encouraging to him will always be encouraged to always jump in, volunteer, help out, help fulfill those needs. Ask him, what can I do to help? Listen to him. Go with him. When he goes out, if he goes out on a visit to visit someone, to see someone that's maybe just got out of the hospital or it's in the hospital or whatnot, volunteer to go with him. Volunteer to go with him. In a sense, what we all ought to try to do is to out-deacon the deacon. Deacons are a gift to the church, and in their service to us, they gain a good standing. And if they gain a good standing, brothers and sisters, then do not neglect showing honor to them. Do not neglect encouraging them. Encouraging them is showing them the good standing, what it means for him to be a deacon among us. And there's a second promise, brother, as well, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. And I believe that this is the one that will sustain, encourage you even more than the first. That if he serves well, not only will he gain a good standing before the body of Christ, before the church, but he will gain a greater confidence in the faith. A greater sense of a confidence in the gospel, in salvation, and the assurance of salvation. The, a greater confidence in the work that God has given to you as a deacon to serve the body of Christ. And this is the greatest of all the blessings that a deacon should hold on to. That, that to know that no matter the circumstance, no matter how difficult the task or the situation that's at hand or or even as mundane as it may seem sometimes. That as you serve the Lord, as you serve, the Lord is building in you a greater confidence, Keith, not in yourself. He's not building a greater confidence in your work in the flesh. Not in your works, but in your faith in the Son of God. In Jesus Christ. And I think that this promise is worked out as we see within the text. Is that as this promise is worked out among us, as our brother grows in his faith in Christ and the greater confidence in his faith in Christ, that we then see as the church on displays the glories of Christ. You look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 through 24. Paul tells the church in Corinth that the certain men had come to them. Right? Titus, in verse 16, comes to them, right? There's an unnamed brother who's famous for his teaching and preaching in verse 18. Then there's this group of brothers in verse 23. And this group of brothers is charged to bring an offering to them, uh, and they're also called messengers of the church. So they were bringing a message uh, from other churches to this churches with an offering to support this particular church. But then he says that these brothers, these messengers of the church, that they are the glory of Christ. And when we see this word, the, the glory, it means the outshining of the perfections of Christ. So here are these brothers. They are the outshining, bringing this message, bringing this offering as an as a outshining of the glories of Christ before this, before this church. So in their service to the church in Corinth, these brothers with an offering and with a message was the love of God, the compassion of Christ, 
the benevolence of Christ and the power of the gospel to transform people. They were not merely delivery guys, but they were, just the, they were the glory of Christ. And this glory is not a reflection from the heavens, as we would, we've seen in other texts, or this isn't, a, is a, isn't the glory from other things like that, or from the radiance of the glory of God, but we see here that this glory of Christ is mediated through these brothers who come to serve another church. To alleviate the needs of the church. And so do we hear what's being said here? The office of deacon. It represents the kind of love and service to the church, to the poor and to needy that displays the glory of Christ. Which brings us to our third charge, brother. Is that a deacon is to display the glories of Christ. Now I know that seems like a I'm putting a lot of pressure on you. That's a lot. That's a lot. You already know. I'm, you're a sinner. You know you're a sinner. And you know that deaconing is going to include some mundane things and some difficult things and things like that. And so maybe the question is, is how does doing those things display the glory of Christ? How do mundane things or serving tables or making sure that the book table is fully stocked and people are greeted properly and stuff like that? What do we... What does that mean? Well, I'll show you. In John chapter 1, it tells us that the glory of Christ and the purposes of coming into the world was to do what? To manifest the glory of God. In Colossians 1, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Verse 15, for, he, for from him he has created all things. Verse 16, he holds all things together. Verse 17, he is the head of the church. Verse 18, he is the preeminent of all things. And in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. Verse 19, the glory of God is manifested in, this, in Jesus Christ, period. Creation is glorious, but Christ is the perfect, exact imprint of the nature of the glory of God. John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we, what did we see? We've seen, we have beheld His glory. The glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How did the disciples then behold or see the glory of Christ? How do you see or behold the glory of Christ? Well, the disciples, they, had, they have, I think, quite an advantage in some sense of, uh, over us is that uh, a few of the disciples got to see the transfigured Jesus. They saw Jesus in his transfigured glory, dazzling in white. All the disciples and so many more saw the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They saw the ascension of Christ as he went into the sky and then behind the clouds. And certainly these are ways where the glory of God has been beheld. But is that all the ways that we have seen and behold the glory of God, that they have seen and behold the glory of God? I think Jesus helps us out here in understanding this. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus came to Nazareth, uh, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, he went into the synagogue, he stood up there and he read from Isaiah 61, and he said that, that he has come, and what has he done? He is, he is now here, what is being fulfilled in their sight is that what has been anointed by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering the sight of the blind, to set the liberty of those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The ministry 
of Jesus Christ shows how he has, how he has come and fulfilled this text. Right? To, 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 to preach good news to the poor. This is preaching and teaching ministry, but to the poor, to proclaim liberty to those who are captives and slaves, to give sight to the blind, these things that he literally has done in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. To preach the good news of the gospel, but also to do what? To serve man. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus when John was in prison. And they asked Jesus uh, this question that John sent him. He says, how do we know? How do we know that you are the one? Or should we look for another? And Jesus gives the evidence. He says, he says to them, well, what? have the blind received sight? Have the lame walked? Are the lepers cleansed? Do the deaf hear? Are the dead being raised from the dead? Are the poor having the good news preached to them? In other words, what Jesus is saying as the Messiah is the evidence of him being the Messiah is not just in those big things of transfiguration and resurrection, but also in these things of serving. These things of serving, these works that he has, these, they were miraculous works, correct, but they were works of benevolence. And as John said there in verse 14, John chapter 1, that we beheld or behold or seen the glory of Christ. How? Not just in his incarnation or in the preaching, but we also behold his glory in his work of serving. And do you understand then the connecting the dots here that Jesus showed all of his glory, showed his glory to us in all of his works, including his acts of love and benevolence? How did the brothers show the glory of Christ there in Corinthians? By their acts of love and benevolence as messengers of the gospel. How do deacons, for that matter, then all of us Christians, how do we show the glories of Christ? And though they're veiled, we understand that. We know that they are veiled. But we display, and brother, in the diaconal ministry, you display the glories of Christ and you manifest it in your service to the church as we display it in our service for one another. The purpose of the ministry of the deacon is to promote Jesus Christ by revealing God in his benevolence of Christ, in the benevolence of Christ. How does the church beheld the glory of Christ, Jesus Christ? We do so through the preaching of God's word, as Jesus said he does, but also through serving one another. And there, brother, as you faithfully serve and give, you will gain a good confidence in the faith as you serve faithfully, because in it you will promote the glories of Christ to the bodies, to the body of Christ. And so there's the three charges to the deacon this morning, to be a shock absorber for the joy of the church, to prioritize the preaching and the ministry of the word of God in, the pra in prayer, and to display the glories of Christ. And the charge to the church this morning is that you are to be an encourager to our deacon. To honor him with kind words, honoring words. To pray for them and to join him 
Deacons serve the church for the joy of the church and to the glory of God. And isn't our desire that the Lord would increase his word among us and in our city because of this ministry, the ministry of Sovereign Grace Church, that he would bring about the salvation of so many others that the glory of his name would be spread from one end of the city to the next in the whole county because of the work of Sovereign Grace Church. Is that our heart's cry? That those who blaspheme now the name of God, those who dishonor Jesus Christ, who love their wicked ways, that they too would have faith to believe as we. I hope that your answer is absolutely or amen. And then we must act according to the wisdom of God's word. And the ordination of our brother is part of that blessing. And just as we see in verse 6, the church appointed and chose men set apart to deacon among them, and the church set them apart, then the apostles laid their hands on them and prayed for them. We do so this morning, and we call it ordination. Deacon ordination is a very important and necessary thing that we do as a church. And deacon ordination is just as important as elder ordination. This is a formal event, as formal as we can get it. But within it, the congregation that is, that is formally and publicly recognizing that God has given us this man to be a deacon among us. And why? Because the word of God has showed us. Theologically and historically. And we believe that he is one who has been called to serve among us and serve us because he is a gift and a blessing. As we said before, that he is a glory from Jesus himself. The laying of hands this morning is a sign of humility, a sign of respect and honor and love. But above all, Ordination is a sign to us all, to the whole church and to the world, of God's loving provision for his church. That he cares for us, that he loves us, and that he will meet our needs. And all of God's people say, Amen.